0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. That's it. Romans eight is the place, and we're going to talk about something that I'm uh, actually sick of talking about and thinking about. That being uh, COVID nineteen coronavirus, the novel coronavirus and all the other names that it's been given. That's our topic this morning. Our text is Romans 8.28. My title of this message is How Coronavirus Can Serve the Saints. I want to begin with a little bit of my personal journey in this whole adventure, which uh, perhaps you can relate to. It really began back in January or February when we first started hearing about this, and on my part with voracious reading I was reading every single article that I could get my hands on, watching every video that was being produced, and that struck me at the time as quite unusual for me because in the past, I paid zero, I mean, zero attention to swine flu, uh, Ebola, MERS, SARS, H1N1, I don't get flu shots. I mean, I'm just usually completely disconnected from this world. But for some reason, back in February, this, this thing began to kind of reel me in, and I became very, very interested in it. I've had some surprising moments of boldness along the way. Maybe you have as well. I walked into our community gym called the Crock Center in Kerrville, where I go most every day. And I walked in one morning, and the girl behind the counter's name's Carolyn, and she's like, hey, good morning, Chris, and how are you? And I said, isn't it a great time to know Jesus. That was very surprising for me. That's not my personality. I wouldn't normally do such a thing. But for some reason, COVID was bringing that about. But I've also had some other emotions and feelings along the way. I'm sure you have as well. There's been times of real demotivation, I will confess. There's been times of, what, what does, why does anything matter? You know, all this effort, all this work poured into this thing, whatever it might be, and now it just seems to be set back indefinitely. On the other hand, there's been times where I've been amped. I mean, really fired up, uh, really desiring to preach more than ever in my life. And then there's been the occasional whatever. And I will confess, that's kind of where I am today. I'm kind of in the whatever attitude with this whole journey. There's been times of irritation, frustration, and agitation. Can you relate? And I have been blown away by one of the lessons of this, of how fast things can change in our world, in our country, in our lives. I've been blown away by the speed with which the world has reacted and in many cases overreacted. And the emotion and the fear and all that has been wrapped up in this unprecedented time that we're living in. We all we got, we got like new vocabulary now, right? There's words that are now introduced into our language that we never had before, and we're probably all frankly tired of hearing them and saying them. That's been a little bit of my journey. How about yours? How are, how are you this morning in the midst of this pandemic? Are you anxious, fearful, distracted, or maybe just numb. The question always comes when we're faced with uh, trials and this is a trial. One uh, unusual in that the entire world is going through it together. But the question always comes to us corporately, individually, when an unwanted, uninvited trial enters our experience, where do we turn for help? What, what am I supposed to do with this? And of course, as Christians, we know we turn to the Bible. But where do we turn in the Bible for help? And where I'm going to turn whenever there is an uninvited trial in my life is two words, sovereign grace. That's where I'm going to turn, the sovereign grace of God. And for that, we go to Romans 8.28. This is a passage, a verse that you simply must memorize in your Christian life. If you haven't already, make that a priority even this week. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Now let's look at that verse and let's begin to, first of all, realize what it does not say. What this verse does not say is that God directly causes all things. That would be what might be termed hyper-Calvinism or really even fatalism. Romans 8.28 does not say that God directly causes all things to happen. He does not. God is not tempted by sin, and He doesn't directly cause sin. Romans 8.28 does not say that all things are good. I've run across some Christians that might fall off of the of tightrope walk into that direction, right? All things are good. That's not what this verse says, because all things are not good, right? Sin is not good, Evil is not good. Death in and of itself is not good. And so Romans 8.28 doesn't make that statement, doesn't make that proposition. Neither does it say all things work. Romans 8.28 does not say all things work. The older I get, the more I'm realizing most things don't work. And nearly everything's harder than it should be and costs more than it ought to. All things don't work. There's a fallen, broken world. Things break down. I remember at our church a while back we were getting a new copier and somewhere along the way somebody said, you know, copiers do two things. They make copies and they break down. <laughs> That's what copiers do. C- cars fall into that same category. All things do not work. Here's something else Romans 8.28 does not say. It does not say that all things work together for good for everyone. That's not the promise. It does, all things don't work together for good for everyone, for every single person. Far from it. So what does it say? Let's look at it closely. Look there at the text. And we know, I love that word, not hope, not think, not feel. We know, Paul says. Now, this is a conviction of our hearts. This is, a, this is something that's in the depths of our being. This is, a, this is a truth that owns us. We know something. Every morning when I wake up, I know this. I don't always feel it. I don't always even like it, but I know it. He says, we know that God, he's referring here to God, the father, the supreme being of the economic Trinity, the the God, the father there in eternity past who reigns and rules and ordains all things. We know that God causes all things, not some things, not most things, not good things, but God causes all things. There's no exception. Everything falls under this all things. And he causes it to work. This next word is so crucial. It doesn't say God causes all things to work for good. It says God causes all things to work together for good. So there's an orchestration going on here. Uh, There's a symphony happening here. God causes all things to work together for good, for noble purposes, for good ends, for uh, fulfilling uh, purposes in our life. But, But again, notice who this promise is for. It's not for everyone. It's for believers only. It's for Christians. It's for the elect. It's for the called. It says to those who love God. He's describing Christians here in two ways. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We don't have time to go into all of this, but this is the effectual call. This is the call that that did the work. This is the call that did the job. When God gave his call through the gospel to us and, and by his grace, we responded. That's the call Paul is referring to here. Not the general call when the gospel gets preached from human lips to human ears, but the special call that the Holy Spirit brings. And he brings it only to the elect. And when this happens, this person is changed and they become a lover of God. And this promise then is for us, it's for every Christian, it's for every believer, for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. That's what it says. What does it mean this morning for this message? It means that God rules over COVID-19 what it means. He not only rules over the virus and who all gets the virus, but he rules over even the responses to the virus by economies and by leaders and by your employer. God rules over coronavirus and God rules over every reaction of every human on the planet. What does this mean in the context of what we've been enduring since March Let me state it this way, God orchestrates, works together, God orchestrates and superintends all sickness, sin, life, and death in such a way to cause everything to work together for the ultimate and eternal good of His chosen ones. I want to say that one more time. This is really the proposition of the message, and then in a few moments, the whole message will be an application of this. God superintends all sickness, all sin, all life, all death in such a way to cause everything to work together for the ultimate, not necessarily in the moment, the immediate. We won't always see it in the immediate, but the ultimate and eternal good of His chosen ones here described as those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. So let me reiterate, this is for believers only. And for believers only, God bends the universe to cause everything in your life to serve your sanctification. God bends the universe to serve the saints. Everything. This is such a glorious, comforting truth. Every single thing that happens In the microcosm of our life, the macrocosm of our life, every single thing will serve our highest good in time and in eternity. God makes every molecule conform us to the image of Christ. Isn't that that exciting? Every molecule running around in the universe, God orchestrates to conform you believer to the character and image of His Son. There are no rogue molecules. There's no random activity taking place in God's universe. There's no such thing as fate. There's no such thing as bad luck. It's all under the supreme reign and rule of an intimately involved, sovereign God. We could even say He bends every moment of time to this ultimate end. COVID then is like that jagged, ill-fitting last piece of a giant jigsaw puzzle. And this piece has been laying over here for a long time. You just can't figure out how it fits. You've been working on this puzzle for weeks and weeks and weeks. and, And then finally, as the puzzle comes together, this last piece is dropped in and all, boom, picture complete. COVID is like the bottom side of a cross stitch. Now, I have cross stitched in my life all for about 30 seconds. My my wife is huge into cross stitch. She did this tons when we were in seminary back back in California, back in the 90s, early 90s. She was cross stitching all the time and And I began to notice something on the bottom of a cross stitch. It's chaos. There's threads loose everywhere. There's a vague picture. You really can't tell what's going on. It looks like our lives look sometimes. How does this connect? Where is this going? What is this intrusion? And that's kind of COVID-19 from our perspective. We're looking up at the bottom of a cross stitch. Well, the problem is we need to look down from the top side, right? We need to see the cross stitch finish where all the colors blend and it's all right and it forms this picture. This design is accomplished. So God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is the greatest example that Paul has in mind of this great truth? And we don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. He tells us beginning in verse 29. Verse 29 and 30 show us what Paul had in mind. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. There it is. That's the good. (laughs) Conformed. Made like Jesus, so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn, the prototokos, the preeminent one among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, these whom he predetermined, who he set in advance would be his children, he also, there it is, called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I'm sure your pastor has shared before, Paul puts this in the past tense because it is such a certainty. Nobody falls off between foreknown and glorification, and nobody drops through the cracks between predestined and called and justified and glorified. And so this is what Paul primarily has in mind when he says God works all things together for good. Here's what I'm talking about. From eternity past to eternity future, God is working all things so that you believer would be made like Jesus Christ. But what about coronavirus? What about coronavirus? How does coronavirus fit into verse 28? I want to share with you 10 ways this morning, 10 ways coronavirus can serve the saints. My purpose in saying these things to you this morning is threefold. It is for your comfort It is for your courage, and it is for maybe a little conviction of sin. We'll just sprinkle a little conviction amidst the comfort and the courage. Number one, number one, coronavirus reminds us, it reminds us of the sinfulness of sin, and we need this. Now, the Bible does this constantly, like Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, if you need a verse, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, and you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And Paul says among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of what? wrath, children of wrath, even as the rest. That's Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. That's a great, great verse to remind us of our complete corruption, of our total depravity, of the sinfulness of sin. And we need that. Well, coronavirus does that for the believer now. How will it serve the saints? It is a great reminder to us of the sinfulness of sin. You see, coronavirus is no laughing matter because sin is no laughing matter coronavirus is a very serious matter because it is creation groaning under the weight of the fall. It is creation groaning to be released from bondage. God has cursed the world. Why? Because of sin. And this is a very tangible, felt by everyone reminder that we need We need this reminder. You're not going to hear Ephesians 2, 1-3 or coronavirus put in the context of the Bible on Fox News. Tucker Carlson is great, but he's not going to quote Ephesians 2, 1-3. You're never going to hear this from the media. You're going to get this from the Bible, from church, from, from a worldview that says, what is actually going on here? That's what's going on here. It's the curse of corona. It's the judgment of God in part. We know for certain it's creation groaning, but I think we have to step back and say, this may be something beyond just normal creation groaning. We recognize that there is a judgment of God going on in this event, a judgment of God on the world, not the final judgment, not the complete judgment. I especially feel like it's a judgment of America. America. You can just walk through the various things that this virus and the response to it has touched, has changed, has upended, has brought uh, you know, a discombobulation to, and you can just kind of go down the line and go, wow, if I was God, and I was looking at America, and I was looking at all of our idolatry, and I was looking at all the things that we're distracted by, I think I would touch this, 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 and this. And lo and behold, that's what coronavirus has done. <laughs> It's pretty, do that sometimes. It's a whole other sermon in itself. but how is this a wake-up call for America? So that's the first thing I will say is it reminds us of the sinfulness of sin. We need to be reminded that sin is horrific. Sin is worse than we can ever imagine. Sin and its consequences are more terrible. they're more, they're more heinous, they're more loathsome to God, than, than we can imagine. We can't imagine the depths of his love. We can't comprehend it, nor can we comprehend the depths of our own sin and how offensive it is to a holy God. Let coronavirus remind us of that reality. Number two, let's go the other direction. Coronavirus opens our eyes to common grace, to common grace. Special grace is salvation grace. That's the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and the things of salvation. But common grace is what we share with all creation, with every, every human being. Jesus spoke of common grace in Matthew 5.45 when he said, He said, God sends the rain and the sun on the just and the unjust alike, right? When it, when it rains in New Braunfels, it rains for everyone. It's common grace. And, and this event has been a great eye-opener to the common grace all around us. How much of life before, you know what, middle of March, right? How much of life have we considered that we deserved? That we had an inalienable right to this thing or that thing. And and my inalienable right can never be taken away from me. I mean, nobody saw this coming, right? Nobody saw this coming. And the impact it's had from top to bottom in our society. We were going through life. We were humming along. Our economies were humming. Our churches were humming. Everything's just smooth sailing. And we we begin to develop this mindset that I have a right to eat out and have a great meal experience. And I have a right to go to church. And I have a right to go to the dentist and all these things. And all of a sudden, here comes this tidal wave. Sports at all levels taken away from us. From Little League... To the NBA, your routine doctor and dentist visits. For me, Jimmy Dean hot sausage. Not there. I mean, do you remember back what month was this? March or April, and you went into HEB or Walmart or whatever, and the, and the meat shelves were empty. Wasn't that surreal? He was looking at these like, this is America. We're supposed to have abundance. I work out at this gym. It gets closed, of course. My wife loves Starbucks. Starbucks is closed. The drive-thru is closed. I'm like, honey, why is the drive-thru closed? Just, oh, well, the workers make more money on unemployment than they do working. So they don't have anybody that will work. Oh, only in America, right? <laughs> Welcome to socialism. No, here we, we, we. Here's our normal, okay? Here is our normal. We are selling the seas of common grace every day. I mean, we are selling the seas in yachts of common grace. Shoes, electricity, air conditioner, showers, soap, toothpaste, stores packed with food, doctors, jobs, children, spouses. You want a reality check? we still are. A reality check with corona, and I don't know what your experience has been. I don't know if you've lost your job like two of my kids did. I don't know what the impact it's had on your life. But I can say this, you're still selling the seeds of common grace. Our life is still easy. Our life is still one of abundant blessing. This has been a good reminder of that you need a little reality check or a contrast to just know that this is true, contrast your life in the last six months with a Jewish person in a German concentration camp for six months where you're wearing rags and you weigh 100 pounds and you eat some kind of slop that's thrown in a bowl like an animal once a day and you're expected to work under those conditions, and your body's covered with lice, and there are rats, and your friends and family have been separated from you, and they're dying by the millions. I know it's an extreme example, but it's really needed. It's really needed to show us the common grace that we're just living in constantly. As I get older, my eyes are getting more and more open to common grace. It's really opened up my prayer life and my Thanksgiving in ways I've never experienced. Uh, I I sit down each morning, I thank God for the shoes on my feet. I thank God for a comfortable chair to sit in and so forth. Don't let this pandemic paralyze your gratitude. In fact, let God use it in your life to magnify your gratitude. If nothing else to say, oh God, how good we had it how good we had it. Number three, number three, it rebukes our love of distractions. Coronavirus and pandemic has rebuked, and maybe this is just personal confession time, but it has rebuked our love of distractions. And I think it's done this in two ways. First of all, the obvious way. It's taken away sports. I'm a big sports nut. Alabama football, Steelers, Spurs, my kids. I mean, just big sports nut. It's been a big part of my life, and all of a sudden, it's all gone, right? And for many other things, there have been fun, distractions, shopping, travel, eating out, your hobbies, your, your kids, overwrought schedules. This thing came along, and all of a sudden, it showed us how consumed we all are with distractions. With stuff of this life, not evil, not bad, just, just we just fill our life up, right? And all of a sudden, boom, 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 they're taken away. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't realize how much I was leaning on that stuff. I didn't realize how much of that was my life. It's forced us to realize how we love to be busy, busy, busy. That's the first way I think it's rebuked our distraction, just by showing that to us. But here's the second way. Has the pandemic itself become our new distraction? So as, as God takes several things away in our life, did we just replace all of that with becoming consumed with all things coronavirus? I was there for a while. I, again, just reading every single thing from every angle possible. Consume hours at a time. I can sit down on my phone for hours at a time and, oh, oh, and then somebody sends you this video you got to watch, right? about masks and about how it's going to spread and the death rates and all this stuff, right? And all of a sudden, the pandemic is just another distraction. I want to encourage you, if, you've, if you're still struggling with that, as it just continues to kind of have its waves of interest, I guess, I want to challenge you and encourage you to fast from the news. Take a day, take two days Fast from social media, fast from your phones, put it all aside. I've done this recently. I've eliminated all the news feeds on my phone. I had a couple of apps that I used, they're, they're all gone. I've eliminated, Blair, are you ready for this? ESPN app is gone. I did it. I did it. <laughs> Picking up more books. Just, just eliminate some of these things that uh, become all consuming. Has the coronavirus not shown you how challenging Colossians 3 1 and 2 really are? Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Hasn't it shown you how hard that is? It has me, and I think we needed that challenge in our land of plenty. Number four. Number four. Coronavirus is a wake-up call for wiser money management. And you can just go to the whole book of Proverbs for this one, right? It's a wake-up call for biblical stewardship to get our financial house in order. Coronavirus has come to us, and I think with this message to the people of God, it is time to live leaner, It is time to be more frugal, to waste less, and to save more. There are no guarantees. Businesses and economies and industries and and commerce that we thought were untouchable are touchable. And so it is a time for us to eat at our own table more often. It is a time to make do with what you have like our grandparents and our great-grandparents learned, learn to make do with what you have. It's time to grow a garden, to fix it yourself, to get out of debt. Get out of debt. I've got an older brother. He's not even a believer, but he made this comment to me along the way with coronavirus because he's familiar with this person like a lot of people. He says, you know what's happened? Dave Ramsey has been vindicated. (laughs) For 30 years, this guy has been preaching the same message. Save more, give more, get out of debt. Live on a budget. Live on less than you make. For 30 years, Dave Ramsey in every venue he could find has been preaching this message, and now he has certainly been vindicated. We need to live on a budget. We need to live on less than we make. We need to build a six. Let me get really specific, really tangible. It's going to be hard during coronavirus for many people, but it can be your goal. You need a six-month emergency fund in your personal finances. You need to look at what it costs you to live for six months and make a goal that that's what I'm going to have in savings as an emergency fund. We need to prioritize the Lord's work in the midst of all of this. We need to get out of debt. You know the biggest buildings in nearly every major city? You know what they are? Banks. Banks living off of our interest, of our credit cards, and all of our loans, car loans, student debt, house loans, all these things. The Biggest, most glorious, shiniest buildings in every city are banks. Let's get out of debt. Let's let coronavirus call us to biblical financial stewardship, to be a slap in the face, to be a wake-up call, to be a bucket of cold water right between the eyes. We need to take personal responsibility. We need to be Christians who take personal responsibility for our lives. We're not looking to Uncle Sam to bail us out. I was very upset with Uncle Sam. It started out as 500 billion, right? The, the stimulus package, 500. And then like within two days, it was like three trillion. They did a stimulus package that was like half of our whole budget or something. It was astronomical. It was a... a, Oh, don't get me started. All right. Don't depend on Uncle Sam to bail you out. Take personal responsibility for your life. This is how Christians are to live. We need to remember Joseph in Egypt. Joseph in Egypt. What a model that is for us. Years of famine are coming. Right? What does our world be? It's a fallen world. It's under the curse of God. Years of famine are coming. Joseph, with his wisdom, said, We're going to save for these seven years so that we can endure these other years. So it is a wake up call for wiser money management. That's all the way from the individual to the city council to the states and on and on it goes. Number five. <clears throat> Number five coronavirus is a call to daily humility. I don't know that you can have a sermon on coronavirus without going to James chapter 4. So go there, please. James 4 and verse 13. Hebrews. It always takes longer to find a passage when you're in front of people preaching than it should. Hebrews, uh, no, James chapter 4, verse 13. Y'all know this passage, I trust. It was, (laughs) wow. If I didn't have my Bible already, I would think this passage was written like this morning, right? Look at this, James 4.13, "'Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit.'" (laughs) Oh my, that just sounds like the typical Western American. Look at it. It's got it all laid out, the timing, today or tomorrow the destination, such and such a city, the duration, a year, the activity, business, and the outcome, profit. It's all laid out. This is what's going to happen. Verse 14. Now he's going to jerk the rug out from under. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. A hand breath. Your life is gone. Instead, instead of this boasting in verse 13, instead of this arrogance, instead of this, oh, I've got it all figured out, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Whoa, if the Lord wills, I'll wake up alive. I'll keep drawing breath. My heart will keep beating if the Lord wills and then do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil evil, James says. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. What is the right thing to do? Walk in humility. Walk in dependence on God. Make no such empty boast. Should we plan? Yes. Should we assume that our plans are going to come to fruition? No. We should trust God. Let me just give you the canceled plans of one man. And I'm not actually that busy of a person normally, but these are just the canceled plans for my life since March 15th. I had a plan to do a spring break tour of some historical sites throughout Texas. I recently read this huge history book on Texas called Big Wonderful Things, great book. If you love Texas and you love history, great book. And I read that and I picked out these sites I was gonna go visit. Squashed, all of them closed. Of course, our church services for Good Friday and Easter. We always do a big thing at our church, a Good Friday communion service with a potluck. It's a big deal once a year, obviously, and then Easter, and of course, canceled. All of the elders at Kerrville Bible Church, really for the first time in our history that I can remember, all of the elders had made reservations and plane tickets to go to a conference together, together for the gospel in Louisville, Kentucky in April, canceled. So we replaced that with a trip to Driggs, Idaho, which is just across the border from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, in late September. Oh, how glorious it was going to be. We were going to go to this huge cabin in Driggs, Idaho as a group of elders and hang out from Monday to Friday in weather that would have been unbelievable. And then last week, Delta Airlines sends me an email and says, flights are canceled. Flights are canceled. Of course, time with our three grown kids, we have two boys living in Austin, a daughter in San Antonio, and many uh, events and time with them has been canceled. But the biggie, the one that takes the cake, is this summer, planned for over a year, my wife and I last month celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. We had reservations to go to Banff, Canada in the middle of July to leave this wretched heat and to go (laughs) to a glorious place about an hour from Alberta, Canada, and, of course, canceled. That's just one person. And you all have your own list, right? Your own story. What a reminder to walk in daily humility. Every time I see somebody in the public eye, somebody in, in maybe the sports world or business world, they make some claim that, oh, yes, we will do this. You know, there will be this season or whatever. I just shake my head. It's like, you don't know that. <laughs> Haven't you learned anything? You know, we're not in control. Number six. Number six, this is self-apparent, but it's a good test of our faith. It's a good test of our faith and our commitment to the Lord. You're in James. You can go back a page or two to James chapter one and verse three, two and three. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Wow, what a a custom-made test of our faith this has been, right? I don't know if this is the audience to, to hear these questions. It might be people who are not here, but are we experiencing the peace of God because we're anxious for nothing? Let's be more frank. Has this been a test to show us that we're afraid of dying? Listen, my worldview of this is about 90% of what's driving this is the world is afraid of dying. And they should be. They should be. That's a legitimate fear for an unbeliever. But for believers, it's not. And it's grieved me and concerned me deeply to see this rise up even within our own church of, of committed believers. To see them fearful beyond measure, to see them holding up in their house in a way that is extreme, beyond, you know, abundant caution. I'm sick of that phrase. In the abundance of caution, we're going to cancel life and everybody's going to get under their covers and tremble until there's a 100% effective worldwide vaccine to save us all. That that almost seems like that's what we're being fed. This is a good test of our faith. It's a good test of our commitment. Are we afraid of dying? Are we afraid of going out of the house? Are we afraid of going to church? Have we, even as Christians, made safety our highest priority? Have we made safety or faithfulness the highest priority of our life? Listen, you need to understand something about your culture and my culture and one of the highest virtues and one of, the greatest, one of the greatest values in our culture is safety. 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 And it's drummed into our heads every single day. It seems to be the be-all, end-all. There seems to be a mindset in our culture that you can manage and eliminate all of the risk and all of the threat out of your life. Because safety becomes your idol, becomes your God. Oh, I can't do that. It wouldn't be safe. Oh, I can't try that. It wouldn't be safe. It wouldn't be comfortable. This is a good test of our faith. I think this has so many parallels. This would be another sermon. Blair can do this one. So many parallels between this and persecution. So many parallels. People go, I can't go to church because coronavirus. Well, would you go to church if persecution was a threat? What if there was a threat of somebody busting in the doors and killing all of us? Would, would that keep you home indefinitely? So we need, to, we need to own some of these things as God tests what I think is a really soft country and a really soft Christianity in America. I mean, we need to look back to our forefathers. We need to look back to some of the heroes of the faith. And they would laugh in the face of this they would laugh in it. And that's not to minimize that it has been devastating for some, but the overall threat and the overall risk, what actually is it? That leads me to number seven. Number seven is it teaches us and it has taught us not to take gathered worship for granted. Amen. Oh my goodness. My son, Caleb, many of you know Caleb Been been helpful for you guys with your video and, and live stream, I think, but uh, he was telling me a story about his church in Austin as this all was going down and churches were trying to figure out what we had to do, what we were going to do, and, and Caleb's telling me, he's a great storyteller anyway, and he's telling me this story, and he's telling about this, this guy in the church that found out that church was canceled, and he told his wife, and then, he, and then Caleb said this line, and the wife started crying. It's like It sounds like a a good book title, you know, and the wife started crying. She found out that church was going to be canceled, and the response of her heart was grief. She started crying. Have you cried? I hope you did. I hope you cried when you couldn't be here. I hope it is so valuable to you that it broke your heart. This thing should have woken us up, all of us in the body of Christ, that we cannot take gathered worship for granted. We can't take home group meetings for granted. We can't take children's ministries for granted. These are all great blessings and gifts of God. Did we miss what we thought we would never lose? Did we? I did. Now, I've thought for a long time that persecution is going to come to the church It's going to come through the LGBTQ plus agenda and that we're going to be charged with hate crimes and we're going to be charged with all kinds of things by our society like they're doing in Canada and that at some point there may be some pressure for us not to meet in certain places and I always thought that would be the cause and didn't never cross anybody's mind that it would be a pandemic. If we miss what we thought, we would never lose. Boy, it was sad for me. We were out for uh, six weeks, you know, doing the 10 or under thing. And so our 10 was basically essential people, which meant during the singing, I was the only person in the pews. My wife had this persistent call for like six weeks. It wasn't corona. She just didn't come to church. She'd cough. You could hear it. It was really distracting. I said, you just need to stay home. And so literally, our, our bottom section of our church seats 250 people. we got a balcony that seats 100. And I, I'm, I'm this lone figure out in the congregation during the singing. And it got downright depressing. In fact, I started skipping it. I, I really can't sing that well. And so I love hearing the body of Christ sing. I love to hear our church sing. And it just became depressing. It's like, I just want to show up for the sermon because this is breaking my heart. And I would sit there in those, in those empty pews and our, our team is up there leading in these great songs of worship and I'm looking around in this empty church and I just felt inside, this is wrong. This is wrong and shouldn't be. And now at Kerrville Bible Church, We are waiting and looking for 33% of our church to come back. When coronavirus hit, we were averaging about 345 people. The last 12 weeks were at about 220. A third of our congregation has not come back. Number eight. This is a new one that I added from when I preached this in our church. It reminds us that our right and our duty to gather in worship comes from God and not the governor. I hope I can get an amen, at least in your heart. Our right and duty to gather in worship comes from Almighty God, not from our governor. And by the way, I love our governor. And I thank God for the First Amendment. And I thank God for Governor Abbott. And I especially thank God that Governor Abbott Abbott corrected himself. He had no right to tell churches they couldn't meet. He had no right to put a limit on how many people met in our churches. And praise be to God, at least in this state, he corrected himself. And he backed off from that. And he said, no, churches are under First Amendment protection. No governor and no city council and no mayor has the authority to go beyond a state and federal constitution. And this thing has shown us that, reminded us of that. But I think there's something deeper here that we're seeing play out now, especially in some of the more liberal states. We have a right and duty before God and from God to gather and worship. And so ultimately, though we love them and we thank God for them, ultimately the First Amendment and Governor Abbott's correction are irrelevant. I guess I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but <clears throat> these things are irrelevant to the believer committed to what God's called us to do. I read a great article this week in, in, along these lines, and the writer said this. It was very arresting. He said, you know, I think by and large, Christians care way too much what the world thinks about us. Way too much. I'll just confess, I regret as church leadership that we shut down. I deeply regret it. I think it was the wrong decision. We did it primarily, primarily out of a... We had zero cases. When we shut down in Kerrville, Kerr County has 55,000 people. We had zero cases in Kerr County. And we stopped church for six weeks. And I regret that. And I look back on it. You know, really the reason we did it was testimony. We said, we don't want to look like jerks. We don't want to look like all those people, you know, this big parking lot full of cars and people drive by on Sunday morning who are unsaved and go, who do they think they are? That was our primary motivation. And now looking back on it, I say, you know what? We care too much what the world thinks about us. We won't do it again. I can tell you that. We have six elders at our church. We are 100% unified. We will not do this again. We are not practicing social distancing. We are not wearing masks. <laughs> we um, we're saying if we're saying to our church, you take personal responsibility for your life. You take the risk on. You come to church. This is we're gonna we're gonna do church, and we're moving toward normal. Number nine, <clears throat> all these kind of overlap mark together. Um, this calls us to discernment. 1 Thessalonians 5 says to examine everything carefully. I'll go fast through this, and I think it's, it's all pretty apparent if, you, if your eyes are really open. But this thing is a great call to us in the body of Christ to, to discern. There is no question a liberal media bias with ungodly political agenda. I'm not saying coronavirus isn't real. It is real, but there is a liberal media bias with an ungodly political agenda. There is no question that there is fear-mongering, and real persecution going on in America under the guise of public safety at all cost. From its country of origin to its massive collateral damage beyond the physical, which not enough people have talked about from the beginning, to the misinformation that we've all been fed and believed, to the outright lies that have come from liberal media, the devil's fingerprints are all over coronavirus. All over it. It is a great weapon and tool in his hand. There's no question about it. So no matter where you land on any of these things, all of this is a call to discernment. Don't believe everything you read. Check everything carefully. Examine everything carefully. And let's keep going back to what we know is true, to what we know is not biased toward a political or evil agenda where we can stand firm. Finally, number 10, Uh, Number 10, coronavirus is a reminder to us that this is not how the world ends. This is not the end of the world. So our youngest son, Carson, he's 21, 22, and shares my love of sports and basketball. You remember back in March when the dominoes started falling, and Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz tested positive. And then one by one, sports leagues, baseball, NBA, Major League Soccer, one by one, the dominoes started falling. Season canceled, 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 canceled. So I'm texting with my sons, Caleb and Carson. And at one point during all of this news and all of this events, Carson texts me this text. He says, Dad, Dad, is this the end of the world? <laughs> so for in his life, his viewpoint, you know, all sports are going away. This, And he's probably half-joking. <clears throat> And it was a great opportunity. I said, no, son, here's how it ends. I gave him a little eschatology 101. This is not the end of the world. Here's how it ends. The next thing that's going to happen is God's going to rapture his church. And we're going to escape this world in a blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye. God's going to snatch us away. And we're going to go to heaven and be with Jesus for seven years while God pours out seven years of tribulation and judgment on this planet. He's going to pour out such devastation and such horrific punishment on this world that this pandemic will look like a walk in the park. This pandemic will look like uh, just a non-event compared to the tribulation. In fact, it's not even the beginning of birth pangs. And after seven years of this escalating tribulation, these escalating birth pangs, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return from heaven on a white horse in fury and power and glory at the nick of time to rescue Israel, his chosen people in the Middle East who are about to be annihilated. He's going to step into the middle of that, intervene and rescue them. And He is going to usher in a 1,000-year millennial kingdom on this planet, on a reformed and rejuvenated planet Earth, with the curse removed, with groaning set aside, and the Lord Jesus on His throne as prophet, priest, and king, reigning from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord going forth throughout all of the earth, and God being glorified through His mediatorial Son, reigning from Jerusalem." And at the end of that thousand-year reign, while Satan is locked up the entire time, hallelujah, praise God, Satan is in a pit where he belongs for the entire thousand years. At the end of that reign, there will be a final war. Satan is let loose. The nations gather. They are destroyed in a moment, and Jesus ushers in the eternal kingdom, the new heavens, new earth, and new Jerusalem, the eternal state. That's how it ends. It's not going to end with a pandemic. This is a blip on the screen. This is a walk in the park. This is nothing, nothing compared to the devastation of a worldwide tribulation. 10 ways, then, that I think this pandemic can serve the saints. And the reality is, it's 10,000. You could come up with your own list. I conclude this way it's not enough to believe that God is sovereign. And it's not enough to believe that God is good. We must believe and trust that God is working coronavirus to squeeze us into the mold of Christ-likeness in ways we never imagined or thought we needed. Or thought we needed. Let's pray. First, God, we want to confess our sins during this time. Our sins of not trusting you, of worry, fear, and anxiety, of irritation and anger even. I know the people of God have probably have committed all these sins, Lord, at some point in time. Father, also, we want to just now thank you. We want to thank you that in the midst of coronavirus, you are working. You are accomplishing your will. You are building your church, and you are sanctifying and refining your people. Thank you, God, for taking things away from us that we actually didn't need. Thank you for causing us to spend more time with our family and our kids. Thank you for helping us to turn off media, plug in to your word. So many more things. Lord, we thank you that you are orchestrating all things for your glory and our good. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.